Good morning. As was said earlier, thank you all for being here. Um, it really is a beautiful day outside, and I cannot think of a more beautiful day to come together with our brothers and sisters to be able to uh, study, to be able to worship together, and to learn more about our amazing God. Um, over the course of my life, um, I have been lucky enough to travel the country um, with my family and with my wife, and uh, one of the one of my favorite trips to take is to any one of our nation's national parks. Um, and I personally, I love to find myself in the mountains. And if you've traveled to any mountainous region, um, as you're probably aware, Lufkin's not exactly a mountainous region. Um, but if you've traveled to any one of those areas, that you would probably recognize this quote. The mountains are calling, and I must go. You can find it on any t-shirt, bumper sticker, coffee mug for sale at any one of those uh, gift shops that might be in the area. And the quote is by this man named John Muir. You might recognize that name. He's widely known for uh, many different reasons, one of them being the namesake of uh, national monuments and national historic sites across the country. Uh, one popular site is found in Northern California, um, the, where the uh, massive uh, and beautiful redwood trees can be found. In fact, John is considered to be one of the fathers of our national park system. And one of John's other quotes, I say John like I know him personally, but one of uh, John Muir's uh, other quotes is this, climb the mountains and get their good tidings. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine into trees. Now there's a peace that comes from being in the mountains, the cool air, the crisp scent of the pines, the, the picturesque calm solitude that you can get from staring at the snow-capped peaks. It really is a wonderful experience. And a few weeks ago, as we studied the book of Micah, we read through a section of scripture that reminded me of this. So let's go ahead and open up to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let's read this together. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and they shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift sword up against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In verse 1, Micah is envisioning a time where the fortunes of Jerusalem are actually reversed. 
if you remember the context of everything that Micah has been speaking up until now, it's not a pretty picture. Desolation, devastation, judgment against the people of Israel and Judah for their justice, injustice, as well as their corruption of Judaism with idolatry. But in these latter days, which was widely used by the prophets to prophesy to the days of the Messiah, the Messiah's kingdom, or the mount, would be established and be set higher than all the other powers of the world. The Zion of prophecy always pointed to the Messiah's kingdom, which has come, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, and is present. This is the present rule of Christ in this world today to be summed up when the rule is given back to his father. The prophet goes on to describe the nature and character of the kingdom ruled from this mount. That this kingdom that was ruled from this mountain is not a kingdom to be established by conquest, by worldly weapons and worldly means. That Jesus made that very clear in John chapter 18. Let's switch over there. Mark my spot so I don't lose Micah. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. This kingdom is rather characterized by peace. As we read back in Micah chapter 4, in uh, verse 4, that sitting, that every man would be able to sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and that's a symbol of peace, security, safety, prosperity, and provision. Like Herbert Huber's famous presidential campaign slogan, a chicken in every pot and two cars in every garage. The people of God will want for nothing. Now that prophecy uh, was in fact fulfilled by Jesus. The Hebrew saints had come to Mount Zion and to the blood of Jesus that could speak peace to their souls. We read that in Hebrews chapter 12. But Micah did not envision a time that God would dominate and control the world with force. Or that there would be an age where all political kingdoms could live at peace. That's not what Micah is saying here. But rather that only God's spiritual kingdom, established by Christ, could offer that kind of experience. So, what does that all mean to us as Christians today. There are two main points that I want to draw from that section of Scripture. The first being this. Coming to the mountain of the Lord requires commitment and obedience. That imagery that Micah uses here actually draws back to earlier accounts in Genesis. Open up to Genesis chapter 22. Micah is speaking of this sacred area atop a mountain that was symbolic of the presence of God, which for God's people in that day was the Old Testament, excuse me, was the temple. And that Jewish temple that stood in Micah's day was the Solomonic temple. And Assyria and Babylon stood ready to destroy Israel and Judah. And that would be the judgment of God. And that temple was built 
on a mountain called Mount Moriah. And that temple is widely believed to be on the spot where Abraham was instructed to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. So let's revisit that account. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and then we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt uh, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When the he came, when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham being called to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac to the Lord as a burnt offering. And if you remember some of the preceding context that this son that was born to Abraham and uh, Sarah, they had waited for many years for this very son. And God commanded Abraham to sacrifice something very clear, excuse me, very dear to his heart, which surely was no small task for Abraham to accept. But he was committed to God and willing to do what was asked of him and to him, this faith was counted as righteousness, as it had been told us in Genesis 15. And then just as James tells us in James chapter 2. Let's turn back over there. James chapter 2, verse 20. James chapter 2, verse 20. Through 24. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And as that record show, when Abraham was willing to do what was required of him, the Lord provided a sacrifice for him. And just as Abraham had to suffer the pain of a journey to a mountain where he knew he would have to sacrifice something, we must also be willing to show our commitment to God and his commandments by our obedience. Let's turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16. There's a running theme through the book of Proverbs, and even some of the Psalms, they sound, they're worded almost identically, starting in verse 3 of Proverbs chapter 16. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. And then turn back to chapter 3 in Proverbs, a verse more familiar to us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And then lastly, Psalm chapter 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. Verse after verse, showing us that if we align our hearts to God and commit to his path, the Lord provides. So not only does coming to the mountain of the Lord requiring of us commitment and obedience, but coming to the mountain of the Lord brings peace. Now this is important because we know deep in our hearts, and can find it in Scripture that following the Lord does not guarantee us a peaceful life. Suffering should be seen as an expected element in the life of a Christian. And that's not something that we can't find in Scripture. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then continue over in 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We can expect trials and tribulations in our lives. 
But that's not something that should cause us grief or cause us concern or sorrow, expecting this, because the biblical authors offer us more encouragement. Continue down in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 13, but rejoice so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. And then from the words of Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when I say that the mountain of the Lord gives us peace, it's not a tangible peace that can be found here on earth. And I think that's what Micah is speaking about in our passage of Micah 4, is that when I see the mountains, they remind me of what the prophet saw in the mountain of the Lord. That peace is not a whimsical, fairy tale, or tangible peace on this earth but it is a calmness of spirit that we can have because we have come to the Lord's mountain. That when we are a part of that mountain, we can endure anything that we face on this earth. The peace found in the mountain of the Lord is not an escape from earthly pain and suffering. It's not a guarantee of a life void of sorrow and grief. But rather, the peace of God offers harmony and calmness of mind and soul that supersedes all earthly circumstances. Let's go back to Micah chapter 4. Micah 4, verse 4. But they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And then in a more familiar passage, Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They're not suggesting that no evil will ever overcome him. But rather that he has no reason to fear any evil that may befall him because he knows the Lord cares for him. That the Lord is with him and the Lord comforts him. 
Now the peace that comes from the mountain offers peace because no matter how the world threatens us, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come will be able to separate us from the love of God. We have peace because God loves us. We have peace because God continues to love us, even in our shortcomings. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it reads, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. In Acts chapter 2, on the same mountaintop where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaacs, perhaps just steps from where that ram was sacrificed, Peter quotes from this passage in Joel 2 and says that it's being fulfilled then and there. He concludes his sermon by saying of the ascended Jesus, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. So this morning, I encourage you to hear the call of the mountain. The mountain of the Lord was promised by Micah to come. What will come for them has come for us. But are we any more amazed and empowered by what that mountaintop experience meant to them? Jesus the King is reigning from his mountain. That mountain was the power of God from which he reigns from heaven. And you can come to the mountain to learn his ways so that we can walk in his paths. We can escape the scandal and sinfulness of this world to be named among the survivors or those who have been given life. And Peter said in Acts chapter 2, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For the promise is you, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord calls to himself. If sin has corrupted your life, the mountain is calling. If Satan has tempted you beyond your breaking point, The mountain is calling. If your heart yearns for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the mountain is calling. King Jesus is calling. Will you go? And if that speaks to you, if you have anything in your heart, in your life, that you want to bring forward, if you want us to pray for you, we can baptize you here for the repentance of your sins. We have the water ready. We ask that you come forward now as we sing this invitation song.